So, Emma, you're, you're already a little aware of this case. I've mentioned it to you before. Um, oh. It's not the one we failed to record, but it's the other one I mentioned. Um, the death of Solomon Fer- Fakiri. Okay, is that the one where you chatted with your brother? Yes. Cool. Okay, so Solomon was born in Afghanistan on January 1st, 1986. He was only seven years old when the family relocated to Pickering, Ontario as refugees in 1993. And he went by Solly to friends and family. He had four siblings, three brothers named Yusuf, Sorab, and Ali, and one sister named Pelatine. At 14 or 15, he was working 20 to 30 hours a week as a janitor with his father's company, often giving his parents the money he earned to help support the family. He enjoyed spending time with his siblings. He would play Nintendo games with his brothers, such as Mario Kart and NHL 98. He loved his nieces and nephews very much, spending a lot of time taking care of his niece, Fatima, and his nephew, Abraham. And one of his nephews was even named after him. Oh, cool. Huh. That point is kind of in a weird spot. I should have put it down later, but oh well. Because I'm just like, everything else is kind of in chronological order. And that's just not. (laughs) But oh well. Um, After his mother had her youngest... Ali, she began having serious health problems, and although Solomon was only nine, he took on the responsibility of caring for her and his infant brother, and he became very close with her because of this. Wow. He continued to do this for three years. Wow. Mm -hmm. And how old was he at this point? So, when he started taking care of his mom and his brother, he was nine. Wow. And he continued till he was 11 or 12. Okay. He loved sports, and he played basketball, soccer, football, and rugby. And at 12, he was the youngest and the lead scorer on his senior soccer team. Hmm. He was then later team, team captain of his high school rugby team. And he was considered intellectually gifted as he excelled at school and spoke English, Farsi, and Arabic. Wow. And he was nine at this point. No, no. He's older now. Okay. Because he was the team captain of his high school rugby team. High school. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know at what point he learned all three languages. Probably fairly young Mm -hmm. um, since he was seven when they moved to Canada. So Impressive, he, one way or another. Yeah. He probably would have learned English when he moved here and then might have already known both of the other two. Mm-hmm. He actually taught his mother the Quran and his brother Yusuf how to pray and his brother Sorab how to drive. After high school, he was accepted into the University of Waterloo's environmental engineering program. Wow. But unfortunately, and this is where things kind of start to take a turn... A year into his studies, at 18 years old, he was in a traumatic car collision that led to a schizophrenia diagnosis, and he was unable to continue his studies and had to move home. Hmm. So whatever, I don't know the details of this car accident, it didn't say. Like, most of this information I have is from the family's website, so that's something they've chosen not to get into the details of, but it sounds like it was... Some sort of serious head trauma. 
Hmm. Okay. And Sully is remembered for his generosity, kindness, warm personality, strong devotion to his faith and family, and his great sense of humor. At the time of his death, he had been in custody under Ontario's Mental Health Act ten times over the years, but had no criminal record. After every previous arrest he had, he had just been taken to a doctor because it was mental health related. Well, okay. Which is a good thing we have, but as we will learn with this case, it's not quite that simple. Okay. This is actually... This is quite a upsetting case, and this is honestly the kind of thing we hear about happening in the States all the time that you wouldn't expect to happen in Canada if you don't know... Like... It's hard to explain. I mean, you'll understand what I'm trying to say. But with, like, police brutality and everything, it is a similar situation to that. And that's the kind of thing you hear about all the time happening in the States, but you don't hear about it happening all the time in Canada. But that's just because in Canada, we have stricter um, publication rules. And Canada likes to hide behind our stereotype of being overly nice when we still have those same issues. Mm. Okay. So, I guess just bear that in mind. Shit's about to hit the fan. Got it? Yes, and it is quite... It is pretty upsetting. Mm. And... Obviously, I mentioned where he's from, that his family's from Afghanistan, so this is, he is a person of color, which adds to the upset because, of course, Canadians like to talk shit about Americans being racist, but it still plays a race, it's, race still plays a part in many things that happen here as well, so. December 2016. Sully had been involved in an altercation with a neighbor and was charged with uttering threats, assault, and aggravated assault on December 4th. So he was taken into custody. Okay. He was taken to the Central East Correctional Center in Lindsay to be held while waiting for a bed to open up for him in a mental health facility for psychiatric care. So... He was never supposed to stay in, in jail very long. It was, you. we don't want you out on the streets, so we're going to have you here until we can get you to a better suited place for your needs. Okay. However, there he was put into solitary confinement, which on top of the fact that a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists think psych solitary confinement is just a terrible idea period it is it is known to severely exacerbate yeah i don't know why i can't say that word tonight but it it makes the symptoms of mental illness way worse um and the un even considers solitary confinement for mentally ill persons torture well yeah I mean, it can be argued as torture for anyone, but for someone who is going through something, a mental health crisis, it's going to make it that much worse because you're literally in a cement room by yourself 
23 to 24 hours a day and it's usually dark yeah that's fucked up and his family was not allowed to contact or visit him which keep in mind he is not being held he's not being charged like i mean he was he was charged and taken in but he's supposed to be put into a mental health facility he's not being held as a criminal he's being held until there is a better suited facility with a bed for him that's and people who do way worse get conjugal visits so his his mother should be allowed should have been allowed to call him so it's just prejudice yeah it's just unfair treatment huh. and so before i researched this case i did know a little bit about it because okay. i have followed the family's instagram page for this case since i think probably around the time that it happened but i didn't know as much as i thought i did until i started researching it so turns out on december 12th so um several days later but still um yeah so a bit into his stay there at the central east correction center a judge ordered that he be transferred to ontario shores center for mental health sciences in whitby to receive proper mental health treatment Okay. This was ignored. Oh. They kept him in the correction center. Which I'm pretty sure if a uh, judge is ordering he be somewhere else, I think that's illegal for them to not take him there. Yep. That's the fuck Mm hmm. And again, he is being kept in solitary confinement without any contact with his family while going through a mental health crisis. Not just the fact that he's going through a mental health crisis, but also the fact that he is being held away from his family and he is in an unknown situation that wouldn't be kind to anyone. And he's a person of color. Yeah. Which I'm sure played into this. Oh, definitely. I'm just wondering which one was the bigger reason like prejudice mm-hmm. in this scenario was it his uh, mental illness or his color yeah that's a good question it was obviously definitely a mix of both but yeah it is it would be interesting to see we will get there shortly but um there is more than one person involved in more than one person killed him so it might have varied by person involved what they were matter about. Yay. Diversity. Mm-hmm. On December 15th, hours before his murder, Solomon had refused to leave the shower and tossed shampoo bottles and sprayed the guards with water who tried to remove him. Okay. So, that's literally all he did quote-unquote wrong while he was being escorted out so i mean you they do get limited shower time so they had to kind of pull him out like okay your time's over one of the guards decided to hit him of course and then he was twice pepper sprayed directly in his face like close contact in his face 
and pushed into his cell where they continued to assault him out of sight of cameras. Classic. A few minutes later, a code blue was issued and more guards entered the cell. The hell? And I know I already said this is um, upsetting, but we're going to get into the quite upsetting details. Um, but the family wants them out there. They want people to know what happened. So I'm going to include all the details that they choose to include in their information. Okay. Because they want people to know what really happened to him. So these guards, remember, these are prison guards. They held him down with leg irons, put a spit hood over his head, and handcuffed his hands behind his back. Uh, what's a spit hood? So, I'm glad you asked, because I did do research to have a little blurb. So, some other names for spit hood is spit mask, mesh hood, spit guard. It's a restraint device that is meant to prevent a person from being able to bite or spit. Okay. Um, so, it is a th- thing that like prisons will have but they have been accused of breaching human rights guidelines and called cruel degrading and primitive and let me just pull up a picture of one for you so you can see what they look like Um, i will probably have to send it to you though okay um okay I hope your recording didn't just pick that up, but I just burped. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. In the episode I just published, um, published, released, uh, with Carrie, her mom violently sneezes in the background, and I chose to keep it in because it's hysterical. But I didn't even hear you burp, so. Okay, perfect. Oh, yeah, that's not nice. No, it literally looks like putting a plastic bag on someone's head. Yep. Oh, that's Google Maps, not Google That's, like, one of the pictures you sent. I was like, oh, is that a plastic bag? Right? Um, Okay, so... Five to ten minutes after this additional group of guards arrived, he was unresponsive and no longer breathing. Well, yeah, obviously. Solomon Fakiri died on the floor of a prison cell, face down, head covered with a spit hood, pepper sprayed and shackled and beaten by six correctional officers for throwing shampoo bottles and spraying them with water in a unstable mental state yeah while yeah while going through a mental health crisis He, he was pronounced dead on scene how old was he then um 30 i think that's wild yeah he was 30 years old so there was a witness another inmate john tibidold theobald i'm (laughs) i'm not sure i think it's french but it's one of those ones that could be french and could have like used to be french and isn't pronounced that way anymore but anyways tibbled yeah maybe Mm. It's one of those ones that, like, I've heard pronounced French way, but I've heard it anglicized, and I'm not sure how he specifically does. But anyways. So, (laughs) he was an inmate at the time and claims he saw the guards beat Solly to death. He was afraid to speak up at first because he still had time left at that 
facility and didn't want the same thing to happen to, to him. Understandably so. He, like, he just watched six guards gang up on a guy for God knows why. Like, he wouldn't have seen the shower situation. Not that that's a reason, of course. But No, but he was like, what the hell is going yeah, on? Yeah, he has no clue. Anything. Yeah, he has no clue why this happened. So, of course, he was afraid to come forward at first. Yeah. So he... I mean, we all would be. It's fucking survival Yeah. Mode. He witnessed the guards bring Solomon in, whom he had never met before. He saw the guard whisper something to Solomon, who then hesitated going into the cell. John says for approximately 10 minutes, he watched as the guards violently kicked and punched Solomon. He claimed they put his head on the corner of his bed while they kicked it. Kicked the bed? The head. His head. The head. That's fucked up. John saw Solly try to get away, but all he could do was run to the back of his cell. He couldn't get out because there was too many guards. And... He's literally cornered. Mm-hmm. And this will sound like a recent... Um, case in the states john said he saw a guard with his knee on solomon's neck why did they do that just okay i mean there's literally no other reason than to kill them yeah or to incapacitate them at least try and scare them i guess but like they're not well but at the very least you're gonna make them pass out when you do that yep So, while he had his knee on Solomon's neck, he was yelling at him to stop resisting once other inmates started reacting. But at this point, Solomon wasn't even moving. So, he had his knee on him and was screaming at him to stop resisting, but the guy wasn't even moving anymore. What was this guy asking him to stop resisting? Death? Like... (laughs) I guess so. John said, quote, was I scared? Absolutely. These guys are still beating on him while he's not even moving, and he's in restraints, and he's on the ground, and he's been pepper sprayed twice? Of course I was scared. I'm like, if these guys can get away with him, they can get away with it with anybody, end quote. And John maintains to this day that he never saw Solomon throw a single punch or anything. So he was just trying to get away. He wasn't even yeah. trying to fight back. All he did was try to put space between him and the guards. That's it. That's all he did. And not want to get out of the shower. Ooh. God forbid. So. You're just going to. You, Emma, and you, listener. <laughs> You are just going to... I'm going to talk about the investigation, but you are just going to continue to be angrier and angrier and angrier about it as I go on. So, but, you know, that's a thing about true crime and being a content creator and being a content consumer. We can't always just focus on the happy endings. Grab your wine, folks. Yeah, we got to talk about these tough ones, too. So, investigation. The coroner's report from 2017 by Dr. Madeline Bellis found that found more than 50 bruises, cuts, and other signs of injuries to Solomon's body. 
This includes bruises to his shoulders, neck, head, and back, abrasions across his body, and ligature marks around his wrists and ankles. None of these injuries were determined to be from life-saving measures. They were all a result of blunt force trauma. So to be clear um, about the difference, so like when you're giving someone the Heimlich maneuver or chest compression, sometimes you can break a rib. That would be an injury from life-saving measures and bruising related to that. So they were able to determine based on, or she was able to determine based on what his injuries were, that no one had tried to save this man's life. Of course not. Just and, put it in danger. Pardon? They didn't try and save it. They just tried putting it in danger and succeeded. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And genetic disease and conditions were ruled out, so there was no, um, like, there was nothing that would mean he, like, bruises extra easily, so that's why it looks so bad. Nothing like that. Yet it's some... These guys are clearly assholes. Mm-hmm. Yet somehow, his cause of death was ruled unascertained or undetermined. Which I don't understand, because she literally determined all his injuries were from blunt force trauma, but you're saying it's undetermined? Well, unless he was found at the bottom of a staircase, how else... Like, you can't get blunt force trauma unless you accidentally have a horrible fall. And he was in a jail cell. On one level. Yeah. And he did not have enough antipsychotic medication in his system to have contributed to his death. And the report could not rule out that he had not been asphyxiated by the spit, spit hood. So they couldn't determine if that had been a contributing factor or not. Likely because of all the other shit going on. It probably would have... Okay, now, so, when I said before cause of death, I should have said manner of death. Oh. They also were unable to determine cause, but in that sentence, I should have said manner, as in they didn't rule it a murder. Cause, oh, cause was also undetermined because of the extent of his injuries. It didn't, they, she wasn't able to pinpoint what exactly it was it was more a combination of everything okay on october 30th 2017 the kawartha lakes police service announced they would not be laying charges as they had not found any grounds to charge anyone in his death during the investigation, the KLPS interviewed nearly 70 people, including inmates, nurses, correctional staff, ministry doctors, and paramedics. But not John Thibodeau, despite knowing about him witnessing the entire thing. So by this point, he had come forward, or at least they had determined he was in his cell at that time and would have seen it, but they didn't interview him. Because he was the only one who knew actually what happened. Well, he was the only one that would say, they thought would say. <laughs> and the oh. Crown Attorney in Lindsay advised them not to press charges. 
which I'm sure like I don't to be completely honest I don't fully know how the just justice system works I don't know if normally the crown attorney would say anything like that like I know so I know for example in the states when the police bring a case to the DA and I think it's the same with the crown here when they bring a case to them they will review it and say like this isn't enough information I need more you guys need to investigate this more but it doesn't sound like that's what happened it sounds like the crown attorney went to them and was like don't do it Two months after the investigation concluded, the lead investigator, Jeff Burke, was caught stealing drugs from the station's evidence locker. Okay. He was charged with three counts of breach of trust, two counts of fraud, two counts of possession of stolen property, and two counts of theft. So clearly not a good cop and not someone to be trusted. I feel like at that point when the lead investigator, I mean, I don't know what the rules are, but I feel like if that's what, if the lead investigator gets caught for shit like that, you should probably have someone else look at it. Probably. Sounds like uh, interference, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, in January 2019, the Ontario Provincial Police announced they would be reopening the investigation since the Kawartha Lakes Police Service did not interview the eyewitness. So this, of course, gave everyone hope. However, in August 2020, the OPP announced that they were not pressing charges against the guards involved. So they're still being stupid. What a surprise. Yes. The, but it's a different police force now, but same area, right? So... The OPP claimed they couldn't lay charges because they didn't know exactly who put their knee on Solomon's neck, who delivered the, quote, fatal blow, and who put the spit hood on him. However, I call fucking bullshit because there were six men involved. Uh, They should all be charged. Yes. If one man chooses to do something like put his knee on the inmate's neck, the five other men should be held accountable for not stopping him. Literally just like the George Floyd case where the main guy got charged with his murder and then the other two guys got charged as well for not preventing it while they were there. Yeah, you know, that sounds pretty logical. Maybe that's why it didn't happen. Fuck. Honestly. Canadian defense attorney Clayton Ruby said about group assaults in general, quote, they all wind up being parties to the offense and subject, therefore, to exactly the same penalty, each one, even if they never struck the blow. This is pretty elementary, end quote. So literally... In our laws, if you and I, Emma, were to go out, we go to a party or something, and I decide to beat someone to death in a drunken rage or whatever, not even, if we just go somewhere and I decide I'm going to beat someone to death, 
and you are there and you do not stop me and you do not interfere and you do not call the police, you will be charged as well. Which I should be in this scenario. Exactly. But, you know, apparently it's not that simple. And this investigation was supposed to be independent, but the Crown Attorney in Lindsay once again advised police not to press charges and said the case was not winnable. Okay. Seems pretty fucking winnable to me if you just fucking try it, but anyways. <clears throat> Sounds like uh, classic gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Don Roselle, one of the two jail managers that was fired after Solomon's death, said under oath during a formal examination that she would never knowingly un- no she would she would never have knowingly combined the use of a spit hood and pepper spray while restraining someone on their stomach. So on their neck. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was on his stomach and then someone was on his neck. So mm-hmm. like even and she's the one who had to take the fall for it. And she's the one who says, yeah, this is wrong. But she's the one taking the fall, not the people who actually fucking did this. That is wild. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand why, like, she faced consequences and stuff, being the manager and the people she's in charge of did this. But, like, they're not even being punished. So why is she? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you going to punish the person that wasn't involved in it instead of the six people who were? If you're going to charge any, if you're going to punish anyone. Now, I mean, she wasn't charged. She was fired, but. Well. Oh, the first official cause of death in a 2021 examination was, quote, prone position restraint and musculotonous injuries sustained during struggle, exertion, and pepper spray exposure, end quote. So, essentially, his official cause of death is being pepper sprayed and being restrained in a prone position on his stomach. But it's not murder. They should at least, like, there are cases where things are accidents and people still face consequences. Why weren't they, why didn't they at least have to face those? Like, that's what I don't understand. You're not going to try them for second degree murder, even though I think this is second degree murder. At least give them manslaughter or at least charge them with um, criminal negligence. What's the nice way of saying being an asshole? Criminal negligence. Okay. Criminal negligence is like when you um, do something and don't consider the dangerous consequences. Okay. So when someone drives drunk and kills someone, it'll sometimes be considered consider um criminal negligence. Understandably. Or it's similar yeah, so it's like that kind of thing. There is a specific like there is driving under the influence resulting in death, but that kind of thing, that kind of situation where you do something stupid that leads to someone's death, that's criminal negligence. Mm-hmm. so like at the very least these people should have been charged with that at the very very least but they were not was there any information anywhere about why they weren't um 
Because, like, I feel like so often these cases, things aren't explained. Like, there is no logic, and they don't even try to give it any logic, you know? Yeah. Well, I still have a few, like, points, so I might say, but I honestly don't think so. Part of the thing is, um, this did happen in 2016. It is only 2022 right now, and it is Canada. So, in cases in Canada, we don't hear as many details because of publication we bans have, bans we have, jeez. Like, we don't get as much, we the public, don't get as much information about cases in Canada for good reason, to keep things private, just like the states has many dangerous consequences of not having these, like, every single suspect being named and then their lives ruined even when they're ruled out. So there are good reasons behind us not knowing all the details to things. But because of those rules, I don't think we do know. I think they just were like, nah, let's not. So That seems like a rule that's very much in their favor. Yeah. Dr. Michael Polanen said musculoteus injuries were from blunt force trauma caused by the correctional officers hitting Solomon, his body hitting the ground, and or his body hitting stationary objects during the struggle. And yet, it is still undetermined cause in undetermined manner. How? Just because... It's also determined at one point that no single injury was fatal. It was a combination, like I said earlier. So I, if they do specify that. It is the combination of the spit hood, the pepper spray, the being on a stomach, the knee to his neck, the beatings. Um, oh, yes. So Dr. Polinen took into account statements from correctional officers, inmates, and examined lab and autopsy results, medical history, and the spit hood Solomon was wearing, and the video footage from inside the jail. Thanks to his report, the case was referred back to the OPP for further investigation. Again, giving the family hope. However, in August 2022, so just this past August, the OPP once again decided not to lay criminal charges against the correctional officers involved, citing insufficient evidence to determine a criminal offense has occurred. Oh my god. A man is dead as a result of physical abuse from six people in the position of power. How the fuck is that not the definition of a criminal offense occurring? Yeah, how's that not evidence? If we went out with four other people, with five other people, and one of them turned up dead, us remaining six would certainly be charged if that person had these injuries. The dead person. Yeah. I said that kind of complicated, but I think you understand yeah. what I mean. <laughs> I think I followed. Basically, if it was average citizens and it wasn't a man of color going through a mental health crisis, this would be a different story. Even if he was going through a mental health crisis and he was white, 
they probably at least would have charged at least one of the guards with criminal negligence. Because I don't know for sure, but I can... I don't want to say I can guarantee it, but I can almost guarantee all six of those guards were white men. Yeah, I wonder if there's any photos online. They've never been named. Oh, of course not, because God forbid that ruins their reputation. Mm-hmm. That is, I mean, that is part of our laws is you don't name suspects that haven't been officially charged to protect protect people who are investigated and are truly innocent. Yeah, that's a good point. But it plays into their favor. Like, if one of my friends died and I was considered because I saw them last, I wouldn't be named if I was ruled out. And that is the good part about these publication things. Because, again, like I said, the states doesn't do that. So you often hear about all kinds of suspects. And I hate that. Like, when I cover an American case, I try not to name those people unless they have been charged with other things. Because, like, it's just not fair if they're completely innocent to have their name associated with someone's death or whatever for the rest of their life. But that does opinion does not... That personal opinion of mine does not apply to this. Okay. I also... Hmm... Okay, no, I won't say that until I finish. I want to I wanna make sure I haven't included that first. Okay. So next I have a couple quotes from Solomon's brother, Yusuf. He's the brother that I personally have been in contact with. I reached out to his Instagram page um, to just okay that I cover the story because I just, I live in Peterborough. This happened in Lindsay. The family's all in the GTA. And I felt weird covering it when it's so close to home without consulting the family and when it's so recent mm-hmm. and when I did my Ontario episode I did um Rory Hash and Candace Fitzpatrick who were killed by Adam Strong in Oshawa and even that felt a little icky um because I lived in Oshawa when it was going on and it felt kind of icky to do it and not have like consulted anyone you know what I mean mm-hmm. Yeah. And this one especially, I really didn't want to do with it being, quote unquote, unsolved. I mean, we know what happened, but no one's been charged. So I especially didn't want to talk about it and then speculate or anything without the family being aware, even though I don't have a large platform. But, you know. No, but it's still a respectful thing to do. Yes, exactly. And, like, that's one of the things I heard on, um, I was listening to, I think it was MFM, and they were... Yeah, they were interviewing this woman who was actually kidnapped and sexually and physically abused by a man who ended up, turned out to be a serial killer. I mean, she didn't know that at the time. She escaped him and survived. And they asked her, you know, what is one of the better things we can do as true crime content creators? And she said, ask permission. Survivors or families of victims, if you can. Reach out to them. Even if they don't answer, at least have reached out to them. So then you yourself can also feel better about the fact that you're doing this. And I thought that was kind of like a, oh, of course we should do that. Uh Now, I mean, to be completely honest, I can't say I will be doing that in necessarily every single case. But a lot of the ones I cover aren't that recent either. 
like I have um, covered quite a few from like early 2000s and earlier. This is one of the most recent cases I've covered other than Rory's death that was in 2017 when we lived there. Uh-huh. But anyways, after that tangent. So I have a couple quotes from Yusuf from um, just a few. He's kind of been the forward-facing guy, like the family liaison type of guy who he's the one... He runs the Instagram, which means he probably also runs the website. He does all the interviews. He organizes the vigils. Like, I think he's the oldest, too, uh, the oldest brother. So he's kind of, like, the face of it all, really fighting for it. I'm sure the entire family is, of course, fighting for it. But he's the one that does all the interviews. So I have a bunch of quotes from him. Kind of like leading the charge, I suppose. Yes, yes. That's what I was looking for, yes. Okay, so... First quote, if that's insufficient evidence, I don't know what else there is left to hold criminal accountability to the death of Solomon Fakiri. OPP seems to think there should be a different standard and that's a problem, end quote. Which I would 100% agree. Like, if this is insufficient evidence, what the fuck is sufficient evidence? Uh, I guess for it to happen in the courtroom while everyone's watching. Yeah, or the camera pointed directly at it. But there would have been cameras that saw all of these guards going in. And I'm sure these cells are small enough. They weren't all inside the cell at once. Or you could see arms flying and you had a witness. And it's... mm, Like... Fuck. This just rattles me so much because it's so fucking unfair and ridiculous. My my head hurts with how... Like, you said that I was going to get mad, and us, the listeners, were going to get mad, but I'm like, my head just hurts. That, too. It just, yeah. And then, also, another quote. Quote, how is there not enough evidence when you have an eyewitness into a man's beating death? You have the chief pathologist articulation that the guard's actions directly led to Solly's murder. Fifty bruises, legs and hands tied, pepper sprayed twice, a spit hood put on his head. And the police still do not have the courage to do the right thing, end quote. Where's that? And just one last quote. Well, that's not true. <laughs> but another one, and then I'll say more before more quotes. The thing that makes this story so tragic is that the system is supposed to be a place to help individuals. My brother deserved better, but Ontarians and Canadians deserve better. The jails have become the new hospital, end quote. And that is too fucking true. There are so many people across North America that are in prisons and jails that should, that just need, all they need is proper mental health care and they don't have to be there. But there are so many people out on the streets and jails and just in and out and in and out of jails who literally, if they just got the mental health help that they require, they wouldn't be there. And Solly wasn't supposed to be there. There was a bed for him. There was a bed waiting for him. A judge ruled, take him there. And they just didn't. And then they killed him three days later. It's almost like they didn't on purpose because they had the vendetta. Oh, it fully feels like that. And I'm sure... That has occurred to many people. And the OPP declined to comment much because there is a coroner's inquest planned, but 
ha- there is not yet a date. Yusuf's- so it's just still ongoing, and we still don't have answers. Mm-hmm. Well, we have answers, but none that are official. Yeah, and again, once again, the family is given hope with still no end in sight. And Yusuf said specifically about the OPP declining because to comment because of the coroner's inquest, quote, The fight to gain justice for Solomon Farkiri is far from over. We remain resilient and we remain steadfast to creating justice for Solomon and many other Canadians and Ontarians that suffer within the justice system. The coroner's inquest will go a long way to show more of what happened to Solomon Farkiri and we will be ready, end quote. Yusuf also said, the system has a double standard, one for us Canadians and the rest for law enforcement, law enforcement, end quote, meaning, of course, the correctional officers. Ontario's correctional ministry has declined to comment on the case repeatedly, citing ongoing legal proceedings, which is true. And I do understand, like, when there is an open investigation, they can't really quote. Okay. The Fakiri family lawyer said, quote, the OPP continues to pretend that Canadian criminal law does not apply to this investigation. They know that the guards used force unlawfully on Solomon. They know that the guards unlawfully confined Solomon while they beat him. Yet the OPP continues to pretend that this is not murder, end quote. And that is what this is. This is not an accidental death. This is not a tragic death. I mean, it is, but... It is a fucking murder. The Ministry of the Attorney General told CBC News in 2022, quote, The Ministry of the Attorney General does not have jurisdiction to investigate allegations of criminal activity or to direct police in their investigations, end quote. They said it's a police matter. And I get that, but you've had three fucking investigations where they choose to do nothing. Someone higher up needs to do something because these cops are not going to do their job. No, they're doing their job, it sounds like. It's just not what it's supposed to be. Yeah. They're protecting... You're not wrong, but like... You no, know I, I mean? know what like, you mean. They're protecting each other, not the people they're supposed to protect. Yep. Police are civil servants. They are not higher up. They are civil servants. Their job is to protect us, the citizens of Ontario and the citizens of Canada and etc. and wherever they are. Their job is to protect us and to get us justice. These men and women are not doing that and they are actively choosing to not do the literal definition of their job. And again and again, we see police. We usually see it in the States, but my God, it happens in Canada just as much. It's just media is all American. But it happens all the time in Canada with people of color. People like Solly, who refugees from Afghanistan, black people, indigenous women. Like, we see it happen. It happens all the time, and it just gets pushed under the rug. But police are civil servants. They're job is to serve us the people it is not our job it is our job to follow the law but it is not our job to make sure they don't kill us and it is not inmates job to make sure they are safe it is the correction officer's job to make sure the inmates are safe 
And it's not even like that would have been hard. All they had to do was transfer him. That would have been one less person to have to be responsible for. Literally. Like, they literally just had to do what they were told to fucking do by a judge. By the law. In 2019, the Farkiri family launched a $14.3 million lawsuit against the Ministry of Community Safety and Correctional Services, seven individual correctional staff members, and the superintendent of the Central East Correctional Center. There aren't a lot of details, but Yusuf told CBC in 2022 that the lawsuit has been settled, quote, in a manner that is satisfactory to the family, end quote. So Uh it was settled but they are content with the outcome but we're not gonna know about it probably no we'll we'll probably never know what the settlement was unless the family chooses to disclose that but Uh, the courts don't get to disclose that information the family would if they chose to which i'm sure they won't but regardless i mean no amount of money will ever bring their son brother uncle back Yes, it can only aid in the pain as they grieve and pay for their therapy and pay for the services that were required for his funeral and whatnot. And the law uh, expenses that they probably have to provide. Yep, their lawyer fees and whatnot, yeah. So my sources for this were three different articles, three different CBC articles by Shanifa Nasir, one from January 20th, 2019, another from August 10th, 2021, and a third from August 23rd, 2022. In August 29th, 2020, 23rd, 2022, CTV news article, justiceforsolly.com and Wikipedia. And you can show support for Solomon's family by going to their website, Justice for Solly, and that's Solly spelled S-O-L-I dot com and follow their Instagram Justice for Solly. And that is the horrific murder of Solomon Fakiri that while officially is not labeled a murder it is and while officially the case is closed it would be more on technically unsolved because no one's been charged but again they don't think it was murder but they're bullshit we all know the truth and that's Uh the thing we know what happened and that's what you don't get a lot in these cases these quote-unquote unsolved or these deemed not undetermined deaths we don't usually find out all these kinds of details but the eyewitness has gone public and he's been interviewed and he has said no this is what i saw this is what they did to him so he has come out after the lack of police action which is great that he is out there supporting the family as well now that he's out of prison and i don't know i i would guess he likely didn't come forward until he was no longer in that facility at least which Again, I believe I think it's fairly understandable if I was in a facility and I witnessed that and the people who were supposed to take care of me and protect me did that, I would be scared to come forward too. So I think he didn't come forward until he was at least moved, but now he's yeah. out there giving interviews too. Like I watched um a video of him being interviewed and saying, "Nope, this is what I saw. This is what they did to him. They killed him and I saw it happen and then no one talked to me about it. No one asked me. Yeah, that's wild. 
Mm-hmm. I would honestly imagine that they would threaten him. Yeah. Which I'm sure if they did, he would have said, too. So I guess they didn't. But all mm-hmm. they, I mean, they might not have given, they could have just given him looks. True. Very true. Because they would but have. But then I feel like he also would have said that. Yeah, that's true. But he said he was scared, so, I mean, the pe- the people who did this would have seen that he saw, so who knows. Who the fuck knows? Like, we also don't even know if they're all men, if they're men and women, if they're all women, if they're all white, like, w- what they are, who they are. We don't know anything about these people, which I think we should. And we also don't know if they still have their jobs. True. They could be doing this again if they still have their jobs i'm sure they at least one of them will do this again whoever started it whichever one of them started it will do something like this again maybe not to this extent but if it got this far i'm sure solly was not the first inmate that was abused and he will not be the last if these people continue to have their jobs like, I didn't even see anywhere if they were transferred to a different facility or anything. Now that I'm talking about it, like, I really didn't see anything about that. And I feel like if it would happen, it would be mentioned on their website, on his family's website. That's horrifying. I know two facility managers lost their jobs, but that's all I saw about any... And then the one, like, guy who stole evidence, but that's all I saw about anyone losing their job. Well, hopefully they did and it just wasn't shown anywhere. Yeah. I hope dearly that this coroner's inquest changes something. Because it has been six years since this man was brutally murdered in front of other people and in front of cameras and nothing has happened. Yeah, that's wild. And all he did wrong was being born mentally ill. That um, wrong place, wrong time, to be honest. Yeah, that could have been me. Yeah. That easily could have been me if I didn't show signs at the age I was and get the help at the age I did. Like... It could be anyone. It could have been me. It could have been any number of our friends or family. There, I have tons of family members with mental health issues, mental illnesses. It could have been any of them. It just That's wasn't... also taking into account that you're assuming it's just the mental health portion that was the prejudice. Well, yeah. Yeah. That is a truly horrifying story, though. And very close to home, which kind of hits Like, literally close to home. I'm, like, 45 minutes away from that facility, maybe an hour, and then close to home just on the mental health side. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And I do on my Instagram when, um, when Yusuf posts things, I try to post as well, um anything like any changes he posts i will update if anything happens if i hear of anything if he posts anything i will definitely share that right away 
um, he actually did share that deaths in Ontario jails, so this is from Star Politics, it's a tweet, deaths in Ontario jails have almost doubled from 2020 to 2021, going from 23 to 41, a shocking spike that follows a steady rise since 2017, despite fewer people in custody, according to a new report from Tracking and Justice Project. Project is what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. So there's less people incarcerated, but more people are dying in custody. The math ain't mathin'. The math is not mathing indeed. Anyways, I need to go to bed. Yeah, no, that's like... That story, in a weird way, is, like, exhausting. Which I find that most of the episodes I've been on are the same, where it's just, like... Yeah, because it's so infuriating. Yeah. That and it there's just, nothing we can do about it. Yeah, and it just takes all of your energy because you just get so mad about it. Especially this one. It's so obvious. And it's so clear. Yet. And yet. It's literally right there. Yep. What's the last one you did? Oh. oh, the last... Oh, yeah, well, the last... The other two that you've done are pretty rough, too. They were both, um, like, massacres, so... Yeah. So I really give you all the really uh, rough ones, Emma. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Maybe I should just start asking, like, all right, but what's the story before I agree to join? <laughs> yeah. Well, next time, next time I'll let you choose because I usually have... Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Disturbed Minds. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow the show on Instagram for show details, pictures, and more at Disturbed Minds Pod.